0: Okay, we'll go ahead and get started. We'll just begin in prayer. Uh, Dear Lord, we just come before you today, and we just want to thank you so much for the privilege of being able to gather together and just have a conference where we can learn more about opening up your ward to help people. I just pray as we go through this presentation that you just help us give us the wisdom to how to deal and address people who are enslaved to pornography. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Well, thank you guys for coming. Uh, my name's Chris Tremita. I'm a member here at Cornerstone Bible Fellowship. I serve in the counseling ministry and just recently took over uh, the youth ministry with uh, Kyle Schmelling, another young man from our church. Well, I'm the old guy part of it. But I'm also working on my Master's of Theology at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary out of Owensboro, Kentucky. If you know anyone who's looking for a seminary, that's a great school, very affordable. It's uh, under the oversight of Sam Waldron, if you're familiar with him at all. So today we're going to cover cyber seduction, or Internet pornography, and with that, kind of crosses over all the others that vary of pornography. Some of the same principles will apply. It's sensitive material, so we have to be cautious of that, but we're not going to be explicit. Just like when you're in the counseling session with someone who's enslaved to pornography, you don't want them to give you explicit details. We're not going to do the same thing here today. And it's such a big topic, today's only going to be a, a big overview. And we could really spend two or three Saturdays just drilling down into each of the individual topics. So hit some of the main areas, and then kind of take it from there. Uh, one area we're going to spend a lot of time on is radical amputation. Because I think that's an area, as counselors, where we fail our counselees the most. Because we really don't talk to them enough about what they really do need to radically amputate. And we'll get into that as well. Briefly talk about the scope of the problem, but I'm not going to bore you with endless statistics. We're going to talk about the three different types of counselees that you might see who's enslaved to pornography. And the idea we want to do is mortification of sin. And we'll talk about the battle plan, and we kind of broke it into those four categories as you see up there. Anonymous, accountability, availability, and appetite. So for, as far as the scope of the problem... How many of you guys have, are actively involved in counseling right now? So you see, if you've been in counseling for a period of time, you're going to see that you're going to see this quite often. I'd say about 80 percent of the people I've seen, sexual sin plays a large part of the problem. Not all that 80 percent was pornography, probably 60 percent was, but sexual sin is going to play a large part in a lot of your counseling sessions. So a lot of these principles can carry over as well. I'd say it's an epidemic within the professing church as well. And if you just look at some of the statistics, and we'll get into that in a second, but how many of you guys have a smartphone? You guys want to hold them out? You yeah. have? Okay. Okay. What you're holding in your hand, you actually have more access than a warehouse for an adult bookstore. So the access you have in your hand right now You can access more pornography than if you walked in the warehouse that supplies the adult bookstores at the touch of your finger, which is way different from when I was younger, when you had to go to the corner bookstore across town so nobody would recognize you, you know, go through the embarrassment of trying to buy a magazine. Now, you can just sit on your couch with a few clicks of your finger, you have access. According to some of the most recent statistics, in 2016, just one website alone at 4.6 billion people access pornography on that website. They say that approximately all 61% of all pornography is now viewed on mobile phones. So that's far exceeding your home computer and things along those lines. And they say by the age of 11, children have already been seen pornography on the internet. And one thing you got to caution when you see the statistics, it's actually much worse. Because the world defines pornography by its function. That they're viewing these images for sexual pleasure, for masturbation. So they would not classify rated R movie with a nudity or a sex scene as pornography. So when you see these statistics, of four, these are only accounting what the world would define as pornography. But as Christians, we would say you should be avoiding any types of nudity in movies. And we define that as pornography. So the problem is actually much, much worse. And it's no longer just a man problem. 20 years ago, when you talk pornography, it was almost exclusively male. Now they're saying about 30% of the people coming through doors of counseling with pornography issues are women. So it's now progressed over to that side as well. And the one thing I think we really do an injustice to people who do struggle with pornography is when we say, well, it's every man's battle. I know there's a best-selling book called Every Man's Battle When He Deals With Sexual Issues. But if we're honest with ourselves, does every man truly struggle with sexual immorality? No. Should they take precautions and try to avoid situations? Yes, but it's not a lifelong daily battle for all men. So we don't want, we don't want to give someone unneeded comfort and say, it's okay, everyone's in the struggle. You could still give them some comfort from like First 1 Corinthians 10.13, but we want to make it clear that this is not a struggle that you can take you know, a back seat to. It's something you need to address and you need to address it aggressively. So for those of you who've counseled, you probably can identify with these three types of counselors for pretty much any issue. The first one is the I'm Baptist, so you have to have the three A's or the three steps. So the anguish counselee. This is the guy who comes through your door. Most cases he's a Christian. You went through your, you know, first or second session, so you're pretty confident he's a believer. They're off. This is the guy who's broken. He's defeated. He's just knows he's sinning against God. He doesn't want to be in this position and he wants to fight against it. He just doesn't know how. He's losing it and he hate he's losing the battle and he hates it. Uh, he may be here on his own will that he recognizes he has an issue you might have got caught, and that was the catalyst that God used to calm the conviction. But this is the guy who's going to be dedicated to the process. He's willing to cut out whatever you talk to him about cutting out. He's going to do his homework. He wants to change. But the one thing you're going to notice as you talk to him, he's going to lack a lot of assurance of his salvation. So that's you're going to spend some time on assurance that, yes, you may sin, but we have an advocate in Christ Jesus when you do sin. And this is someone you want to be very graceful when you're counseling you want to talk a lot about God's grace as you go through the process then probably the middle category the ambiguous counseling. I'd say the majority of people I've seen would fall into this category, these are the guys you talk to them after your first session, you're not really sure should I do counseling or should I do pre-counseling if you guys are not familiar with that, we say that we can't counsel an unbeliever so if you have an unbeliever, you focus on evangelism first so this one, you end up making a judgment call which way to go. And he, this person kind of bounces between one session, very apathetic. The next session, they seem all gung-ho about fighting and fighting sin. But when they are fighting, it's a one step forward, two steps back. That's slow progress over a period of time. There's some, you suspect his dedication. You might see a lot of incompleted homework assignments. And one thing that helps a lot with the ambiguous counseling when they're not doing homework assignments is a, is a three-strike rule. The first strike, you just talk about you need to do your homework. The second strike, you get pretty much, they get a stern talk into if this is important, we can't move on. The third time they miss, you end the counseling session and say, we'll reschedule when you complete it. And often you find that helps bring some more dedication and help them move along, you know. Often they're attending counseling because they got caught, or they're suffering consequences getting caught, and that might be some of their bigger concern. But this is a counseling, don't be afraid to use God's law as you go through the counseling process, and use it aggressively. Go through the Ten Commandments and show them how internet pornography breaks just about all of them. But if, and as you progress with counseling, if you decide to go that angle, you still want to be evangelism heavy with your counseling. Have you progress? Then the one that's everybody's joy to deal with is the apathetic counselee. For those who are counseling, how many of you guys had the counselee who you could tell from about the first three minutes has no desire to be there? And he's there because in our case the wife caught him, the husband caught him. Um, you talk to him, you pretty much have no assurance that they're saved. They're very apathetic, at times like very antagonistic. Um, I had a gentleman who came to my counseling and after about the fourth session found out that everything he told me that he's been doing was a lie. Then he also gave me a list of everything I was not allowed to talk to him about from this point forward. which, (laughs) Which oddly enough, each and every one of those was something he needed to address. So the best way to progress there was we ended counseling. Things progressed as we warned him that his life's going to continue to spin out of control. He ended up getting saved when things hit rock bottom, came back. We counseled for another several months, and now he's graduated. So praise God on that. So this is a person which, this is someone you really want to use God's law to convict them of their sin. And let God's law lay heavily on their shoulders, even if it breaks their back to the point where they see the need for God's grace. And that's, I know there's broad categories. You know, someone might not fit perfectly into one of the three, but those are broad enough to cap- capture most people. The one thing that's very important when it comes deals with uh, sexual sin, especially pornography, is your data gathering. Spend a lot of time gathering data, because this is going to be great information for the radical amputation and stuff down the road. For example, with pornography, you want information, but you don't want specific details. You don't want the specific websites they go to. Because you'll find that when two men who struggle with pornography come together, they often give each other ideas where to find it. And also, you want to be careful we don't fall. We say you should be a mature Christian if you're counseling this problem, not struggling with it. But you don't want images put in your head either. But you do want to know what types are they viewing. You know, is it man on, man on man? You know, one man, one woman, is it group? You know, just what type gives you an idea. Does it involve animals, children? If it involves children, now you have to get law enforcement involved. And one thing that people forget about is they forget about asking about comic books and animation. You'll find a large number of kids, late teens, early 20s, are using anime or magna as their tool of pornography. Because images can be very graphic, and that's their source. It's not actual humans it's the drawings so that's something to actually ask about and it it could be embarrassing but it might not be your first week question but once you get a relationship you might want to talk about some fetish stuff you find some, some men are using like we'll use a foot fetish there's a whole range of pornography that just involves feet so the reason you need to know that on your radical amputation side you might have to say no more shoe catalogs things along those lines You know, when are they viewing it? Because that's going to give you some tools of what changes they need to make in their life to limit that interaction. Where are they viewing it? I found that some of my men I've counseled on this, once you cut off the computer side, they go somewhere else and access it. So they might have to have a change of plans of where they go. You know, how is he viewing it? What devices are they using? Then look at the different triggers of what's causing them to want to seek it out. I'd say a majority of the men I've counseled on this issue, it's usually after they had a very frustrating day. Something that was out of their control, that's often a trigger for them to go into pornography that evening. So that gives you some ideas of what might be the root cause. Are they always masturbating when they view pornography? You'll find that's not always the case. You know, find out when they're doing it, where they're doing it. Um, Find out what they were doing before they got into pornography. Um, we, I had a gentleman where prior to him getting internet pornography, he used magazines and bookstores in the restroom. Then he would go put the magazine back on the shelf. So part of our amputation was you're not allowed in any bookstores because if you cut off his availability of internet pornography, he can fall back into what he used to go to. So that's why data gathering is so important. You know, Other sexual sins. Often, internet pornography leads to other sexual sin. You know, is he committing adultery on his wife? Or I'm using he because, you know, I also mean women. You know, prostitution you can find can lead to it. Homosexuality, sexual assaults, of course, law enforcement have to get involved. Pedophilia, law enforcement have to be involved. Then another sensitive issue you have to address is sexual issues with their spouse if they're married. You'll find that a lot of men when you're counseling who are really enslaved to pornography will no longer be intimate with their spouses. You'll find out it could be years from the last time they were intimate with our spouse. And the other thing you'll find too, and I don't get graphic, is you'll find that a lot of these men won't be at the climax without the pornography. So that gives you a, a whole avenue of marriage counseling you might have to do as you progress with helping them um, deal with the pornography issue. With sexual morality, pornography, it is such a serious sin. Our goal is mortification of sin. Mortification is a great old word. You find it in the King James, the New King James Bible. The other one's translated to kill. Don't worry, I'm not a, I'm not a King James onlyist. But I just like the old word for that because it means so much more. When you talk about mortify, it actually gives the idea of going to war. It gives the idea that you take no prisoner's approach. And that's how you have to be when it comes to this sin. When it talks about killing, it just the word itself. When it talks about killing, it talks about utter destruction. You know the scorched earth policy of war, which you just take no prisoners and you destroy. It. And that's how you have to be when it comes to sexual morality. And I'm sure you guys recognize the title of that book that comes, mortification of sin. Great book by John Owen. With his famous quote: Do not do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it. With willest you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. And this is a John Owen's a very tough read. Probably end up having to read it three or four times to understand what he's saying. But this is a great book that you could even recommend one of your counselors read to help work through it. Because it talks about just the serious nature of sin and how serious we have to be when we confront it. And this, and that's—we're basing that off of Romans eight, twelve through thirteen. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you're put into death, the deeds of the body you will live. So when you take a look at mortification, a couple of things you got to keep in mind is the work began in us will be finished. If your counsel is in Christ, they might be in a bitter fight against sin, but in the end, we know they'll have victory. You know. And one of the biggest problems, you see, it's actually creeping in the biblical counseling movement through some of the holiness movements, is the idea of entire sanctification, where you can be perfect on this side of the, you know, before you die. That you can reach a state where you no longer sin. But we know the only time we're going to reach a point where we don't sin any longer is when we're glorified in heaven while our life should be looking better, better, and better, and we're sitting less, less, and less, we're not going to reach the state of sinless perfection. And sometimes that idea causes your counselee to struggle with assurance. Okay, But as a believer, remember, we're no longer a sin or a slave to our sin, we're now a slave to Christ. Which means we're sinning because we, we submitted ourselves to sin. Because what does 1 Corinthians 10.13 uh, promise us? That with temptation... We we'll always have a way of escape. We're choos- when we sin, we're choosing not to take that way of escape. And with counseling, we're helping the counselor to see those ways and how to use them. And one thing that to be careful of, especially since early on you can spend a lot of time on the practical stuff, how to cut out pornography, is you don't want your counselor to think that they can do this battle on their own. Because the only way they could truly defeat sin is through the work of the Holy Spirit in them through the sanctification process. While we know salvation is monogistic, it's all of God, sanctification is us working with God. And we kill sin by submitting to God and resisting temptation. We see in James 4, 7, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So you can see the twofold there, submitting yourself to God, then the active part, resisting the devil, or resisting temptation. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, what I already mentioned, no temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation, you will provide a way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So now we're going to talk about the practical stuff that you're going to do in your counseling session with your counselee. Like we mentioned, we're going to use this uh, 4A approach. I kind of stole this off Heath Lambert, if you've heard some of his other sermons. But to make it a little bit different, I kind of broke up his count- accountability and anonymous. He just goes anonymous, availability, and appetite. Because I think there's a little bit of a difference, and we'll talk about that. One thing is, if you have the counselor, you're not sure they're a Christian, you can address the first three with the unsafe person as you're going through all the evangelism. This is the stuff they're doing on their own. This is confessing their sin. We'll get into all this more in detail. You know, radical amputation. Appetite is the stuff where you're working on with a person who's a Christian. This is them working with the Holy Spirit to fight sin in their life. The first is anonymous, which is sin must be exposed. If we don't expose it, we're not going to mortify it or kill it. We've seen Ephesians 5, 11 through 12. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of the darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done in secret. So, long as your sin remains anonymous, which means nobody knows about it from you, it's very unlikely you have any victory over it. This is the first step in killing sin, is they have to seek help. Usually they're in your office, this part's already done. Hopefully it's because they recognized and came to you. But remember, life-dominating sins, sex or morality, everything, is a battle for a person's soul. It is a serious, serious issue. And calling in reinforcements is necessary. And if you're counseling in more of a formal setting with appointments, you're one of those reinforcements. If this is your friend, that's you as well. If you're doing it, it's more as an individual-type counseling. But especially with sex and morality, this is something they really need to get someone else involved with, someone else to walk with them through it, and someone to hold them accountable. And we'll get into accountability in a second. We also know that when you hide your sin, it breeds more sin. Because as they're going through their, watching say, pornography online at night, you often find... While they're hiding it, they're lying and doing multiple other sins to help cover it up. Then we mentioned, too, if they keep progressing in sexual sin, you might see prostitution, adultery, and things along those lines. So it, keeps, it may even escalate more and more. And with anything, exposing sin is the first step in fighting it. So I know uh, Heath Lambert mentioned this very briefly, that with accountability... Once you recognize sin in someone's life, it's our duty to help them confront it and to fight it. So in a sense, you are your brother's keeper to a certain degree. But when we confront them, it must be done in a loving manner and with the hope of restoration and calling them to repentance. And we see that in Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and therefore, or I'm sorry, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So there's a big difference between biblical accountability and what a lot of people perceive as accountability. A lot of churches, very well-meaning, their idea of accountability is get five or six guys who struggle with sexual immorality and have them be accountability partners and hold each other accountable. Problem with that is It often becomes a cheerleading session of I watch pornography, that's okay man, we're all suffering you do better next time. They're really not holding each other accountable. The other one is, it often becomes even unintentionally they're swapping information, I went to this website I went to this place gives people ideas. Or if you have a guy who's maintaining some victory during some of these accountability meetings they get too graphic in the details of providing with each other, now they put images in each other's heads. And the other problem is as is, for a biblical accountability, it should be someone who has authority and who is mature. There because church discipline has to be on the table of someone who's not repenting and progressing. Biblical accountability is not just waiting for someone to commit a sin and reporting it or checking on them once a week to say, hey, did you view pornography this week? It has to be offensive and defensive. There is a reporting part of it, but there's a part of Holding them accountable to the point where you call them up and say, on the times you know they're struggling, hey, how are you doing right now? Uh, When we talk about amputation, this is, you might have a key to their house if you know they have a stash, and you have permission to go check their drawers. Randomly. So it takes commitment, and it has to be offensive to the point where you're looking for ways to help them avoid it before it happens as well. We already mentioned the avoiding the ex- explicit details of the sin, and the big thing is the account. One problem with some of the other accountability models, it puts most of the responsibility on the accountability partner to hold the person check. Biblical accountability puts the responsibility on the person with the problem. Where if they don't, if they fall and view pornography over the weekend and they don't report it to you until you ask, that's something you need to address. If you're, they have covenant eyes and you get that report that they viewed pornography and they didn't call and say, hey man, I messed up. You hold them accountable to it through the counseling sessions. And with that, when they you do catch it, one of the big questions is, well, why didn't you call me? You know, Because remember, confession is a big part of it. Because you want them to not remain anonymous as they fight through it. And that kind of ties in with the next step, which is as, I'm sorry, as we keep going. Accountability software. How many of you guys use, when you're counseling someone, you use Covenant Eyes? How about uh, Ever Accountable? No. Those are probably your two bigger ones that's kind of popping up right now. But accountability software, if you have someone using internet pornography, is a must. And it's a dough breaker. If they have internet access and they refuse to put accountability software on their computer... Counseling's done until they do it because it shows no commitment. And that's you got to be firm on that. Because if they're not willing to put it on their computer, they're not committed. You know? And the one thing we have to remember, it's a tool, but it's not a cure of the issue because it doesn't change the person's heart. And that's a problem. A lot of people think, well, I have accountability software. I'm good now. No, all you're doing is modifying behavior with the software. You're not changing the heart. You know, And there's two types of, when you look at different packages of which software you are going to use, you want something that monitors and blocks. Some will monitor and just report back what websites people view. And others will also block certain websites that have higher ratings. So you want one that does both. There's a lot of benefits to it. It holds someone accountable. It monitors and blocks some of their internet activity. And as a counselor, the reports you get is a gold mine of in information. It shows you peak times they're on the internet. It shows you what websites they're visiting. You can see patterns of internet use. You compare that to the times they're falling with the pornography and helps you lay out a good game plan. It exposes sin. And sometimes it's not the sin of your counselee. I had one counselee who was doing great. We're talking, he had very early victory, you know, very soon in the counseling process. So we're winding down to make sure you know all the foundation is set before we graduate, and I get a report in multiple pornographic websites out of the blue. And he's always been truthful to me. He, call, I call him up, and he's just from his voice, he's shocked that it's on there. He says it wasn't me, I didn't do it. But he had multiple devices, so he said, "Well, which device is it on?" And I told him. He's like, "Let me call you back." Turns out his teenage son. So he found out his teenage son was now viewing pornography. So it can expose your sin, and it can also help in other situations as well. One of the cons is some of the reports can be kind of complicated. While Covenant Eyes is one of the best softwares out there, I think some of the reports can be on more complicated side, with broken links, hard to follow at times. They can be time-demanding if you really want to take the time to research and go through what they're viewing. And we fall into the trap of sanctification by software, which is very easy to fall into, which we talked about earlier. You forget it's just a tool. But it also can create a false sense of security. One thing I learned early on uh, is there's a lot of ways around this software where you're getting 100% perfect reports, but they're being pornography almost nightly. And of course, those the ones that are no-brainers, they're using somebody else's device. You know, they're using their sister's computer. They're using a computer at work that you don't have software on. Um, I had one counselee, which he'd go to his father-in-law's business when it was closed because he had a key, and view it in their office. So you'd have no clue because of that. They may even have devices that no one in their family knows about. So that's a good question. Data gathering is what other internet accessible devices you have? Give me a list of all of them. Um, one thing they could do, I found it's more common than you think, is... They create a second log they get they get the family account on like say Covenant Eyes, they have the login you're monitoring, they put a second login for like a family member, they set their accountability partners themselves with a different email address. So when they do the normal internet activity, they go on their account, but when they want to view pornography, they use their other login. There's really not a way to catch that. Ask ask your counselee if they're doing something like that. And you just have to hope they're honest. One of the more inventive ways I found was beautiful flash drives with its own operating system on the flash drive. Because they had one computer, they plug their new operating system into the computer when it's off. When they boot up the computer, they'd have it operate off the flash drive, and then you're getting clean reports from their activity on the regular computer, but they're viewing pornography through the flash drive. And then you find themselves... Reverting back to non-computer sources, DVDs, magazines, comic books, things along those lines. So those are all important things to you have to be specific about talking to them about. Uh, these are probably your more common accountability softwares out there. Isn't that a great picture for it? <laughs> Yeah, is I'm not familiar with Accountable to You. I mainly use Covenant Eyes and Ever Accountable. Then there's NetNanny and X3 Watch. I found the reports and everything in Ever Accountable to be the easiest to read. It gives you actually pictures, a screenshot of the website when you open it with the link. So you can actually review the whole report in minutes. It doesn't really filter too much, so that's a huge drawback. And unlike Covenant Eyes, where I can just hop on the website and hit a report for a time period, it gives it to me. evercount only emails, emails you once a week. But the trade-off is you can look at a, a week's worth of internet activity in minutes and have a clear picture of where they're at. Where I found with Covenant Eyes, a lot of broken links we can't follow and check out website as well. But there's a lot of, it's great filtering, great blocking, but the reports can be kind of complicated. Now, this is an area we need to spend a lot of time on, especially early on, is availability. is They must cut off the source, and you, it must be radically amputated. And I, like I mentioned in the very beginning, we don't go far enough in what they have to cut out. Because sexual morality, sexu- especially if it's progressive pornography, it's so life-dominating, you need to cut off everything that can influence them in that direction. And it's going to be a major sacrifice on their end, but this is where you're testing the commitment. you know. Data gathering, like we mentioned, is very important. If you don't gather good data in the beginning, you don't know where to cut things off at this point. And one thing you have to spend a lot of time on is, what is pornography? Because if you ask someone who's not a Christian, they define pornography as the function. It's only stuff for masturbation, erotic pleasure, things along those lines. But they'll look at a lot of sexual comedies, the rated R movies with sex scenes or nudity, and they'll watch those and say, well, but I don't watch pornography. But as a Christian, we say, anytime you're viewing nudity, sex scenes, that's pornography. So when you ask your... If you don't define what pornography is with your counselee, they might be in their head thinking the worldly definition of, you know, the backroom video store type movies. You know? So they're saying, no, I'm not watching any pornography. But they've been watching all the rated R movies, the unrated director's cuts of rated R movies things, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, things like that. So you need to define what it is. And that's why, like I mentioned earlier too, statistics are misleading when it comes to what pornography is. But radical amputation. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body go into hell. And another verse that really pertains is amputation is making so you don't do a provision for the flesh. Uh, Romans 13, let us behave properly as in the day, not in Cruising and in drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. The old concept of put-ons and put-offs. But even if it's they're coming to you just for internet pornography, you have to look at amputating stuff from all these different areas in their life: Te- their technology, movies, and television the music they listen to in some cases, concerts, books and magazines, what entertainment they do, and stuff in their home and work life. And this is, once again, data gathering. And we're gonna go over each of these in turn. And after the session, if you want me to just email you a copy of these slides, just give me your email sometime before you leave today and I'll email it out after I sleep for about 12 hours. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Uh, so with technology, I'm not a big techno guy, so I don't even know all the new devices out there, but what computer devices have internet capability that they're losing? And you have to make the judgment call as a counselor, do they need to be 100% off the internet or can they be on the internet with accountability software? That's a decision you have to make based upon the case, the specific case. Some cases if they have a If it's dominating the life where it's so bad, they might even have to do a career change if it requires internet. So this all depends on your judgment call as a counselor and their specific situation. But you have to look at desktop computers, laptops, tablets, phones, Kindles. I don't know what else, but anything that can access the internet. Now a big one is movies and television. You know, and we mentioned it a few times. Anything that's nudity, sexual situ, you know, sexual situations can be a trigger and must be amputated. You know, sadly enough, one of the popular TV shows, even among Christian circles, is like a TV show, Game of Thrones, full of nudity, incest, and things along those lines. You know, people say, well, it has a Christian theme, so we just talk about the Christian parts themes of it. But no, you have no business watching a show like that. That's not being legalistic to say cut something like that out. You know, on the Fifty Shades of Grey. That's another movie. It was so rampantly popular that a church even did a sermon series called Fifty Shades of Grace. So if you're taking a pornographic book and trying to make a sermon series out of it, there's a problem. Because think about all the women who's read that book, who sh- should have been reading in the first place, but now they're in the pew. They're doing funny, so-called funny puns off a book full of you know, pornographic material, what images are they bringing to their head as you're preaching your sermon series? So we have to watch what they read, what we watch, you know, your Netflix, your Hulu, you know, what movies are they watching, what T V shows are they watching? Now music is a big source that most of us don't think about when it comes to internet pornography. For those who've counseled, how many of you even thought about asking about the music? You don't. But believe it or not, before I was a Christian, one of the music things I loved was the 80s hair metal bands, you know, like Poison, you know, groups like that. But as you became a Christian, you start noticing that every song deals with sex, drugs, and inappropriate material. If you have someone who's struggling in those issues, they might be cutting everything off here, but you're putting the images and thoughts in their head with their music. So I'm not saying that you only can listen to praise songs, but what is the subject of the song? I'm not, I don't go as far as say you can't listen to secular music. I say, but if your secular music is singing about stuff that is sin, you need to avoid it. And that's something you need to talk about. Um, especially from the older bands, a lot of the artwork within CD covers were very sexual in nature. The music videos of those days, you don't know, have to watch. Same thing with some concerts. Certain bands you need to avoid just because of the nature of what they sing about. You know, Because music's a very powerful medium. You can hear a song from when you haven't heard it in 20 years, and then it brings images to your mind. Especially if you remember, this would be the older folks like me, the 30s, 40s, in order. Especially when MTV was huge. You hear some of those songs, you think of the very graphic sexual videos. For example, you know, there was a certain song by an 80s group that was very sexual in nature, and a certain church was using that as their opening Easter sermon. So for all the guys who were in their 20s and 30s and early 40s, their minds automatically think about those videos in church again. So you don't want to use anything that's going to trigger those thoughts in someone's head. You know, books and magazines. You mentioned like Fifty Shades of Grey, which launched now a huge series of books that are very similar in function. You know, magazines, Maxim, FHM, you know, the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. Things like that must be avoided. And we mentioned the comic books and anime and magna are very, very big within the young age group. Something most of us would not even think about unless you, someone comes in with that issue. Then once that happened, you start seeing how it's actually way more widespread than you think. So especially, that's almost a guaranteed question to ask somebody who's late teens, early 20s. Make sure you bring that up. You know, entertainment, I love stand-up comedy, but you have your clean comedians, you have your dirty comedians. Same thing, we don't want to be entertained by things that don't glorify God, such things of sexual nature. You know, if you have someone, is it okay to go to a sporting event? Yes. But if you find yourself spending more time watching the cheerleaders and lusting after them than watching the game, that's something they need to cut out of their life as well. You know, and where it gets tricky is, you know, very tricky is family members and friends. If, you have a lot of friend, if they have a lot of friends that are very engrossed in a sexual type culture that keeps dragging them into it, they need to make adjustments. And these are the tough ones to do. Now we're moving on to appetite. And this is the point now where we're now counseling the believer. Everything up to this point is stuff you're doing with both of them. Because even if you're counseling a believer, you need to make sure you're cutting off the source and addressing all those other issues to give them a clear head and a breath of fresh air as you work on the heart issues. And, you know, this we're going to dig into looking at the root cause. We're going to talk about delighting God, resting God, some spiritual disciplines to put off, put on, then very briefly, some of these other issues. Now delighting in God, uh, hundreds of verses we can go to, but Psalm sixteen eleven, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. So, unless a counselee delights in God more than their sin, they're not going to have victory over that sin. We also know it's the key to victory over sin. Uh, Rex Samrad. Said the driving force for all true sanctification is a relationship with God in Christ. So we want to seek in joy in God more than, than anything else. We want to be careful we don't cross into what's known as Christian hedonism, which has a lot of really good points, has a little bit of pitfalls, but that could be a whole other topic. But should we find our true pleasure in enjoying God more than anything else? Yes. But we should be seeking God for the joy of Him and not just for pleasure for ourselves. Okay? And the big thing, too, is you want them to seek God for who God is and not for his gifts. We saw that in John 6, where Jesus basically gave a heart sermon. Everybody left because they were following him for the miracles, the healings, and the food, and not for who he truly is. And the way we're going to help a council truly delight in God is from them to know who God is. And that's through spiritual disciplines. Oops, sorry, I didn't have that slide up there for you. But as we build towards spiritual disciplines, part of delighting in God that helps you lead into the disciplines is resting in God. Which is Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A quick breakdown of this verse: You see, come to me is submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You can't come to Jesus unless He's Lord. There's no such thing as being saved without a Jesus and Lord in your life. All who are is a condition that already exists. So this person's already weary and heavy laden. Weary it means to labor. You know, this person is working so hard to be saved, kind of works righteousness, or working so hard on their own power to fight sin. To the point where they're heavy laden. The word goes back to a back breaking load, uh, like a load that could, that could almost break the back of an ox or a donkey. So it's a big struggle. But the key is when they talk about rest, it's to be for refreshed or revived in Jesus Christ. And this is a thing to explore very early on as you're moving into the delighting God part of counseling. I found the uh, sermon by Spurgeon called I Will Give You Rest. is a great sermon to print out, have them read it. Then I made a worksheet for them to fill out after they read it. And if you email me, I'll make sure you get a copy of that as well. And I found that to be very useful as we're talking about resting in God because it's going to help the guy who gets frustrated at work, comes home and does pornography. And this kind of helps open the door to delighting God as well. So as we're now working on helping them delight in God, we want to dig into what's known as the spiritual disciplines. One of the number one things they need to do is Bible reading. Regular Bible reading is a must. I found that almost every one of my counselees who came with this issue, very rarely is in their Bible. If they do, it's a hit or miss. They they decide to read today, they just flip it open, read some random chapter. A week later, another random chapter. Chapter. So I like to get them on a Bible reading plan right away. That's a homework assignment day one. You know, if they, I don't expect them to go from never reading their Bible to the Horner plan, which is 10 chapters a day, of course. But I consider it success if I get them reading about five days a week, very early on. You're hoping to move on to seven days, but you want them in their Bible regularly. And a, there's a lot of great reading plans out there. And you just choose what's best for your situation. You want them to be immersed in the daily word of God because that's how they're going to know who God is because that's how God reveals himself to us today. You also find that prayerlessness is a very common factor or it's the 2 minute before i fall asleep prayers. You want to help them work on the prayer life because we also know that prayerlessness can be a sign that they're an unbeliever or a Christian who's struggling. So that's something we want to work on. I know some people will pick a knit with it, but I do like using Acts with some counselees. Because it's quick, easy to remember. And sometimes in council sessions, time is precious. You don't have time to do a big exposition of the Lord's Prayer and how to break that down and use that as a format. So I personally like to use Acts. And I've seen some success with that as well. Another thing to help when learning to delight in God, and this all works together at the same time, is worship. They need to be regularly, weekly, in church. If they're not a member of a local church, active, participating in church, you know that's a major problem, something that needs to be addressed. If they're not regularly attending a church, they're now coming to your church every Sunday as part of their homework because they need to be in worship in the Lord's house on, a, on the Sabbath. And one thing you do is, if they know some praise songs, you encourage them to sing them throughout the day. And one thing, I've to help fight the early temptation, you have them pick one of their favorite songs, Amazing Grace you know whatever their favorite one is and when they start having the urge to masturbate for pornography they're supposed to start singing the praise song A lot heart makes it harder to transition into the pornography if you're singing praise to God so these are some things you can help them do to help maybe in those early battles it helps them change the focus of their thoughts Christian fellowship that goes along with the Sunday attendance but you also want them to try to get more active within their church doing the activities, Christian fellowship with mature Christians then the Lord's Supper, if they're a believer, that's an emphasis. If they're a believer, it's something they should regularly participate in. If they're letting the plate pass them, the plate pass them by and they're a believer, that's something you need to explore. And another one is baptism. You know, it's, That is the first commandment Christ gave us, is, believe, you know, is be baptized. So if they've been a believer for a period of time, and they've had opportunities to be baptized and they're not being baptized, That's something to explore because that's disobedience from one of the first commands. And they're already living in disobedience in that area as well. And then if the person's even eligible for baptism would be an elder decision. But that's something you need to explore of why have you chosen not to be baptized. Does that make sense? Then the put off, put ons. Classic Christian counseling. You know, Ephesians 4. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have him and have been taught in him, just that the truth is in Jesus, that in reverence to your former manner of life, you lay aside your old self, which has been corrupted in accordance with the lust of the deceit, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in likeness of God, has been created in the righteousness and holiness of truth. Remember, the idea of put off, put on is you put off the sinful different behaviors, thoughts, and you put on something that's godly. Something that's God, that glorifies God. We could do a whole session on the put off, put on. But if you've been reading some of the newer stuff coming out from some of the biblical council community, they seem to be getting away from this concept in favor of the gospel sanctification. Where we believe in progressive sanctification, which is throughout your life, you're going to get progressively more like Christ. You have ups and downs. You're working with God fighting sin. There's a train of thought coming in of all you do is focus on the gospel, which is true, but they take the unhealthy level of where it almost falls into the let go, let God concept of once I focus so much on the gospel, God just automatically changes me, then my behavior will change, where they're not in it to fight against the sin themselves, where they won't be as strict with the radical amputation, things along those lines. A great book on this, if you really want to dig into that, is How to Help People Change by Jay Adams. And this is, the put-off, put-on is essential to biblical change. Because remember, they have to put off the bad and put on the good to change. And and Christianity, it's not just a religion avoidance. It's about conforming a life to be more like Jesus Christ. And that's what this does for us. One habit we can fall into, especially when we put a big emphasis in the beginning on the radical amputation, is we may forget to do the put-ons. But we have to be careful that we don't do that. And some people say, well, you're being legalistic. But no, a call to holiness is not legalism. That's Christianity. Now we dig in a couple areas. Unfortunately, due to time constraints, we can't really dig into all of these. Uh, Heath Lambert's book, Finally Free, has a chapter on each one of these. And I don't know if you guys have used that. If you know anyone who's struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with pornography, male or female, or you're counseling anyone with, or you have a family member, this is probably the best book I found on it is finally free. And I'm not just saying that because he's here. <laughs> but by far, I think it's one of the best books out there. It's an easy read. Just don't cheat and read the last chapter first. Read all the way through then the last couple of chapters. You thank me when you do it, but I can't ruin it for you. And as you go through this counseling process, as I, Heath mentioned the other night, there's two kinds of sorrow. Which one does your counseling have? The worldly sorrow or the godly sorrow. In order for counseling to be effective, they must have the godly sorrow. But that comes from them delighting God. And as you expose those root issues, now you're going to start counseling those specific areas. But that comes from your good data gathering. Uh, confession. You want your counselor to confess his sin to those affected by it. So if he's been engrossed in internet pornography and his wife doesn't know about it, she needs to know about it. You can do it in a controlled setting in your office with you, but the, he must bring that out into the open. But it's only those affected by it, within reason. He doesn't need to tell his five-year-old kid. He needs to tell his wife. You know, if it's really bad, he might need to bring it to the elders of the church. And part of your confession is they they need to accept consequences and not make excuses. Don't let a counselor get away with my wife has not been intimate with me in two years. So I had to turn to pornography you don't let them get away with excuses like that. Because even though you have problems in your marriage, it does not give the excuse to commit adultery in the terms of viewing pornography. You know, Then uh, humility is another area that he really expands in the book. And all these are great concepts that when you counsel, you really need to at least address these to a certain degree. Uh, as Heath Lambert noted in his book, only arrogant men look at pornography. Because a person who's looking at pornography is so arrogant, they're desiring because they think they deserve something more than God has given them. They're coveting because they're desiring something that's not theirs to the point where it's they're sinning to get it. So you really need to address some of the pride issues that goes along with that. And the lack of gratitude. And this is where you put off, put on. Put off the greed, put on gratitude. And different books to really expand the process, like I mentioned, how to help people change Armatiffy, one of the other speakers, has a great little flip book if you're a counselor. got uh, transformed into his likeness, which has a big series of all the different major issues you might deal with in counseling. So, Or if you're talking to your friend, and it gives you the put off, the put on, and a lot of Bible verses to go to. Especially if you're just starting out in counseling, you're interested in it, or you've been talking to your friends and you just feel lost sometimes, that book was a goldmine of information. And of course... Using your spouse or your singleness. If the person is single, the Bible talks about if you're single, it's a gift from God, and you can use that to serve God. If you're married, we delight in a wife of our youth. You might not be having the intimate issues, you know, being intimate with your wife. You might need to restore that relationship first. But that's something that's going to be part of the process of their married and that relationship impacted by this sin, is that you got to work on their marriage as well. So you end up having... Basically, 10,000 other areas you have to work on because this sin affects everything. But the big key is you want to focus on helping them delight in God first. Once they delight in God, they make God their first joy. They have the source cut off with your radical amputation. Then you can see clear, clearly often see what some of those triggers are to help you expose the root cause. Because you're finding in this issue, what you think is a root cause, you find out later isn't. It's not until they start seeking God first that, that those things get exposed. But the big thing you have to be with someone who's sexual, dealing with sexual type issues is you have to be consistent and firm, especially on homework, the radical amputation. Because once, sometimes, if, especially if they're in that middle category of counselees, they're going to take those little cracks you gave them to get away with it. And then you end up eight, nine sessions in with no progress. And the big thing is, we don't want to forget to give hope. You know, Philippians 1.6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you were perfected in the day of Christ Jesus. And uh, Heath Lambert said, There is no struggle for purity so intense that Jesus' grace cannot win the battle. So I made sure I saved at least three minutes for questions. So any questions? No? Okay. Well, thank you for coming. And I don't think I think Fred's just finishing up, so we've got to wait a few minutes. How do you know when, you're, like, when somebody has passed okay. or getting ready to graduate? Okay. Uh, how do I know when someone's ready to graduate was a question. Yeah. Um, one thing I look at is consistent victory over a period of time. Like a period of time of months? It de- depends on how bad their situation was. But I usually look for at least three or four months. Once I have a good track record like that, then I know it's time to graduate. What does graduate mean to you? We say graduate is when we are no longer meeting for counseling. They have the ability to come back whenever they want. They can call you up, but we're not going to schedule a meeting every week, every two weeks. And what I do is for the counselor who's having more and more success, their appointments are getting further and further along because you do want to test it. Because you'll find some counselors fall into the trap of, long as they come to counseling, they do well. But as soon as they're out of counseling, you find out very quickly they fall back into it. So before you say, okay, we're done, I think we don't need to meet anymore, you start going, okay, let's meet every other week, every to once a month. Then once about the four-month mark, I'll say, let's meet again next month. Then if they're still good there, then I'll look at graduating them at that point. I'm saying, let's not meet again. But they always have my phone number. They're able to start at any time. Do you do follow-up? Um for the most, it depends on the situation. Uh, for some of them I have, I kept in contact with, and some not. It depends how busy your counseling ministry is. And you can't always be chasing after everybody. Because yeah, I know with our church, I work full-time outside of here, so... Uh, you know, I generally do... Right now, I'm a couple people have graduated or moved on. But I try to do about three appointments every Saturday. So, and so that's... Kind of a heavy load, plus all the other stuff. But we have our pastor does about 20 hours a week of counseling. So there's no way he can follow up with everybody. So it depends on your load and your actual involvement with the person. If it's someone who's you're close friends with, you're going to have to continue to go in presence. But if it's in a session where they're just coming in, usually from outside the church with an appointment, probably talk to them, call them once or twice, then that's it from there. So, that's it.